0: Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Joe McCall, the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And you're in for a treat today. We've got a special episode And we're going to be talking about vacant land investing. Surprise, surprise, right? It's something that I've been doing a lot lately. My sons and I have been flipping vacant land for a few years now, and we're really starting to ramp things up again. One of my sons going to school to be a chiropractor, my younger son, is actually now in the last few weeks getting back deeper into land, working like 30, 40 hours a week. So we're starting to make a lot of offers, and I'm getting excited because we're seeing a lot of momentum. And this is something that I've been, doing deals for a long time, and I've been teaching and coaching people on real estate methods for a long, long time. And uh, I've done a lot of wholesaling, a lot of lease options, a lot of vacant land investing. And I'm seeing more of my students have testimonials and doing deals with vacant land investing than I ever have before in the past with houses. So that's why I'm so passionate about this. It's why I'm talking a lot about it. I did a survey recently to my list, said, hey, what do you guys want me to talk more about in 2023? And vast majority said, land. They want me to talk more and more about land. So I got a special guest today. His name is Anthony Papas, I believe. I hope I got that right. Um, From a company called Mavro. And uh, he's been doing deals for only, I think, I'm going to guess three or four years. We'll ask him here in a second. But since he started, he's grossed over $3 million doing vacant land, which is crazy awesome to hear. And so we're going to be asking him some questions about what he is seeing in the market. The market has been shifting for houses and vacant land in the last year. We're going to ask him what the kind of shifts that he has seen, what's going on, get his opinion on what's what's going on. So it's going to be a good episode. I'm looking forward to sharing with you a lot of the details here. And if my camera, if you're watching this on YouTube, if my camera is slow and spotty, my apologies. I'm kind of trying to figure out what's going on here. I might switch cameras while Anthony is talking. We'll see what's going on with that. A couple things real quick. If you are watching this right now on live, live on YouTube or Facebook, say hi. Say hi in the comments down below. Tell us where you're from. And if you have any questions, please type them in the chat in the comments because I can show them to Anthony and I can ask him any of your questions. Okay, like we've got a couple right now already. This is a good question from Joe and we'll get to this in a minute. What percent of market value are you offering after running comps? And uh, Aaron also has a comment here. That's awesome. I'm glad you guys, Joe and Aaron, are here. Keep the comments. Keep the comments, comments. Excuse me. All right, one more thing. If you want, I got a cool thing I want to give to you for free, and it's my contract. And I've, d- I've talked about this a lot before. I don't know if you can see it here on the camera, but this is a contract that I'm going to give you for free if you want it at simplelandcontract.com. This is the contract. I know it's hard to see there you go, all you can see is a red number that says $11,224. This was the contract that me and my son, my sons and I used to tie up a deal and sell it, flip it in North Carolina. And we made $11,224 on this deal. And you can actually get this contract for free. It's one of the things that I give away for free. If you go to this website right here, simplelandcontract.com, simplelandcontract.com. And after you go there to get it, there'll be an invitation to watch a class that I did that teaches this land flipping strategy. So go check that out and it would be uh, really cool. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So again, go to simplelandcontract.com right now. If you're driving, then wait and go to that site. And if you're um, you're wanting to get more information on that and some other links that I have, go to my YouTube channel, subscribe to my YouTube channel and look at the link in the description below. We'll get you in on that, okay? Let's bring on Anthony. Enough of me chatting away, all right? Let me remove that. Let's bring him on. Anthony, how are you? Doing well, Joe. I appreciate the invite. Thanks for being here, man. Glad you're here. We have a, a really good barbecue place here in St. Louis called Pappies. Have you heard of it? I have not. Uh, Dallas is
1: famous for Pappy's barbecue as well.
0: Ah. Well, I'm sure our barbecue in St. Louis is not good, as good as it is in Dallas, but it is still pretty good. If you're ever in St. Louis, well, I'll take
1: you there. Cool. Sounds good. I'll take you up on it.
0: All right. Uh, hey, the co- name of your company is called MAV Pro or Mavro, right? Mavro, yeah. You've been doing land for two and a half years. This is pretty cool. Your numbers, and and I hope it's okay to share it, is it?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, your gross revenues last year, $1.56 million, flipping vacant land. Yeah. Hot diggity dog, all right? And the year before that, $1.2 million, gross revenues, flipping vacant land. Obviously, that's not all profit. You probably spent a lot of money in marketing
1: and overhead and staff and VAs and software and all of that, but those are pretty good numbers. Congratulations. Yeah, we ran about a 30, or I ran about a 32% profit margin. So you can mm. do the number from there, but still not bad years.
0: Very, very good. And by the way, I hope those of you listening caught that. Anthony knows his numbers, right? And I always say this to people if you don't know your numbers, you don't have a real business. Got to know your numbers. Great. It sounds sexy and cool when you're showing a big check on Instagram for a $20,000 deal that you did. But there's a whole lot more to that story of what you actually get to keep. <laughs> you know, number one, there's taxes. And number two, there's all the marketing that you put into the deal, the Mm -hmm. investors that you still have to pay back out of that deal. But anyway, a discussion for another time.
1: So where do you live? Uh, Based in Phoenix, Arizona, a small city, well, not a small city, uh, Chandler, Arizona is where I live, but most people know Phoenix. So you mentioned Dallas. Is that where you're from? No, uh, that's the next market I'm looking into. So I've done a couple trips out there and we've looked around at some stuff. And uh, I like to get my feet on the ground before going into a new market and was out there for a Jocko Wellink event. And so then spent a few extra days there checking out neighborhoods and seeing which areas were full of developers and which weren't. Well, speaking of barbecue, there's a place down there in the stockyards. Okay.
0: I forget what it's called. If I ever go down there, I know exactly which corner it's on, but the barbecue there is really, really good. Yeah, uh, find the name, send my way because I'll be back out there uh, probably
1: next couple months. So
0: Nice, okay. All right, Um. so how did you get into real estate and just, just three years ago, it sounds like, right? What were you doing before that?
1: I was a journeyman plumber for the last decade and was building multifamily and single-family houses for investors, and I started seeing them make a ton of money, and I was confused. I'm like, you show up in a nice truck, and then you walk the property and you leave. What do you do? And then they started telling me, well, we put the deals together, we find the deals, we find the funding, and I was like, oh, that seems interesting. Then my fiance got into real estate, read Rich Dad Poor Dad, forced me to read it. I didn't want to read it. I thought it was some guru nonsense. That and then Lightbulb had a buddy that was crushing it in single family real estate. Said, hey, how do I get into this game? He's like, how much money do you have? I'm like, not much. I'm a plumber. He's like, well, then you should check out wholesale. Plugged me in with Steve Trang. And then uh, it's been snowballing ever since. Steve Trang's a good dude. Yeah, amazing uh, guy. Yeah.
0: And you got started. All right. So um, you were doing houses when you first got started. Is that right?
1: That is correct. Yeah. I even joined Steve Trang's team for a little bit. Um, and then true entrepreneurial spirit, I was tough to coach and even harder to you know, follow the lead of somebody else and wanted to do things my own way and then branched off and started doing houses with a partner, realized that wasn't going to work out. We had two different um, just goals for where we wanted to go and stumbled into some land and hit the ground running. Okay. Now how'd you stumble into land? So I was Looking at some lots, we were looking at a mobile home in AJ at the time, Apache Junction in Arizona, and there's so much land around it. I'm like, why is nobody doing anything with this land? So I was on, I think it was batch driven at the time and just start clicking lots and calling owners. And I could underwrite it a little better because I knew what goes into developing those lots from my plumber background. So I was able to call someone They're like, I want hundred grand. I'm like, you don't have a water meter, no septic, nothing. There's 35 grand worth of infrastructure needed. You're the first person to say that. I'm like, well, the numbers don't make sense. I'll buy it at this number. And they yeah. said, yes. and. And then builders liked it because I knew the numbers a little better than the average wholesaler. Okay, so that's interesting. You came from it
0: with a um, utility underground uh, development kind of a perspective because you know then what it takes to right. get a property ready mm-hmm. for for a home builder, right?
1: Or for a mobile home, right? Yeah, for a mobile home or for single family builders, I had that background that kind of gave me the insight to what they're going to need to get that you know ready and buildable. All right, good. Hey, real quick, Content House. You say here you have a question, ask away,
0: type the questions in the YouTube chat. Uh, Thank you, Aaron can hear us. Aaron's got a question about wholesaling or finance. So we'll ask that question here in a minute. And uh, Ed says, Ed and Laurel, bring on 2023. Cool. We got another question from Facebook user. What's the best method or platforms for selling your vacant land deals? We will talk about that as well. And Aaron is here from Houston. Nice. Okay, cool. Uh, So you started doing land, but were you doing land as the traditional way that most land investors get started, where you're just, you're buying cheap recreational land and you're wholesaling it to people who want to go hunting and camping and stuff like that?
1: No, not at all. I was looking for land that was in high demand for developers or investors to go and either place a mobile home, build a new house, or even small multifamily. I didn't, I've never touched the outside stuff. I know people crush it with, you know, doing the postcards and finding the land out and seller financing it. It's just not something I've ever done. Everything with mine was within a major city with access to utilities and normally in an area with a ton of uh, growth and development. Yeah, very cool. So give us an example of a
0: typical market you like to go after.
1: Uh, So Phoenix has been the bread and butter. I like to stay in Phoenix and the outlying major cities that have, you know, strong economic growth. Obviously with the downturn, things are going to going back to reality because the last two years has just been a whirlwind of crazy deals going left and right. But we're starting to see that we have to underwrite deals appropriately without banking on appreciation. So many builders were banking on appreciation. We're just not seeing that anymore in this market. So you were targeting infill
0: lots, or these are properties. Give us an example then of like, where in Phoenix do you typically go after? Is where there's a bunch of new home construction? Is it in an area that's being kind of regentrified,
1: where there's a lot of tearing down old homes, building new homes, or what is it? That's a great question. We um, focused, we as in my team, focused on, you know, areas that could either drop mobile homes, because a lot of investors were doing mobile homes like crazy because people were getting priced out of the Phoenix metro area, so they're having to go out, so we are focusing on that. Any lots that could be subdivided or split, so you could place four homes on them, that's something we went after as well, then a ton of infill lots. Anything within an established neighborhood, utilities are right there, either on the street or already on the property, so that's kind of been our uh, bread and butter of what we've been going after. In the Midwest, and maybe
0: it's different in Phoenix, where a lot of the infill lots are in the city, mm-hmm. there's nobody that would ever want to build a brand new home there. It's just such, right. it's a rough neighborhood, right? Right. Even in markets like Phoenix, do you still target those kinds of infill lots in those neighborhoods or do you still just stay away from them?
1: So Phoenix has just such crazy growth and an influx of people moving here that even those lots have been selling like crazy because even if it's a rough neighborhood, you're still going to sell that house for 400000 in this market. It's just it's gone crazy. So you could be next to, you know, a house with a parked up roof and sell a house for 350 without issue. It's just the craziness that has been the Phoenix market. Is it still like that? You know, as things shifted in the last six to eight months? It has slowed down and there's been a little cooling, but we're still seeing record low inventory. Uh, inventory has doubled over the previous two years, but we've we still record low inventory. Uh, builders are still putting up new neighborhoods left and right. Uh, KB Homes, you know, Merit, those giant companies are still going gangbusters on these new developments.
0: So they're still, are these home builders, they've obviously owned a bunch of land now because they've been buying land. They're still building homes on these lots that they've already bought?
1: They are correct, yeah. There's still a ton of new construction going on. The single-family infill lot builders have slowed down just because their margins have got a little sketchier where they're actually going to exit because that appreciation's gone, and we're starting to see a little bit of depreciation with houses sitting on market way longer than they have in, in the last two years. So those guys have stopped buying, but the multifamily builders and the larger builders outside of town are still going.
0: Okay, well, it's interesting. You say things have slowed down a lot, but are are homes still selling in 30, 60 days?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're still thinking. Back to a more uh, normal market. It's not crashing. Right, no, not by any sense of imagination. We're not seeing a crazy crash, but they are sitting longer. So in Phoenix, people are bidding 80 to 100K over ask price just to get the property. So we saw some wild stuff and that's gone. And now it's kind of back to numbers having to make sense. That's funny
0: because people are kind of what I see in St. Louis, at least, even with some friends, you know, who are selling their own personal residence, they're kind of panicking because they're not getting multiple bids on the day that it's listed. And they're freaking out like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong. But they're still selling their deals, their houses within a few weeks, a couple months. And inventory, you're right, is still really low. All right. So you started... Because of your background, you knew, all right, you knew who your buyer was, and your buyer is our our developers, people that are building
1: new homes, either big builders or individual smaller builders, right? So normally smaller builders, I think the largest builder that we've done has done like uh, 10 houses on one parcel. Okay. So that kind of smaller, medium range builder, we haven't done anything to like the giant builders that come in by, you know, 32 million for 100 acres. So then are you
0: are you finding the buyers first, calling them up, talking to them, finding out what is it you want, what are you
1: looking for, and then doing your marketing for the deals? That is correct, yeah. I flipped it and started working backwards instead of finding the deal first and trying to blast out to a buyer's list. I went and found, you know, I try to find three to five buyers in the immediate area, and that's how I kind of judge the strength of an area and whether worth us going into. And if I can find three to five, then I'll reach out to all of them and say, hey, are you still looking to buy more? what are you thinking of the market? How much depreciation are you factoring in when, with your numbers? And how can I see this through your eyes? I don't want to send you a bad deal. How do you find those home builders? Uh, Google, uh, driving. That's why I like to go visit lots. I'll go. It's like in Phoenix, I know all the neighborhoods and I'll go drive them frequently because most builders will put a sign in the front yard saying such and such custom homes is building. So that's how we built a good buyer's list, driving neighborhoods, finding you know properties going up and adding them. So you're not, you're not, looking for the,
0: the neighborhoods at Pulte or whoever the big home builder is in Phoenix. You're not looking for them. You're looking right. for the smaller home builders. who's building 10 to 10 lots or so.
1: Right. Yeah. We also have some like builder associations out here. You can join, you can also look at Facebook groups and stuff like that, but Google has been great. You could Google, you know, custom home builder in my neighbor or area, whatever city you're in and then go, go down the list and just cold call all them and say, Hey, are you still buying? What are you looking for? This is what I do. I wholesale. And I'm not going to send you a bad deal. I just need some answers qu- or questions answered. So I send you good deals like, how do you underwrite? What's your price per square foot to build? What utilities are a deal breaker if they're not there and stuff of that nature?
0: Okay. All right. So you call them up, you talk to them, and then you just, you ask them, what are you looking for? What other kind of lots are you, right. do you need right now? Yeah. And so what are they telling you? Are they telling you, are, are they saying, hey, yeah, we still want land. us what you've got, we're still buying. Or are they
1: telling you, now nah, we're slowing down a little? Well, a lot of them have slowed down and pumped the brakes and said, hey, we're holding off. We're going to try to offload some of the stuff we have. Some of them have even asked me to try to help sell some of the deals they bought a little too high in the frenzy. They're like, hey, can you wholesale these for me? And I, unfortunately, some of the numbers are just so high because they bought them last year, just going with the craze. So we are seeing that slowdown, But this multifamily builders I know are still going strong and looking for good opportunities.
0: That's interesting. I always say this too, when, when the market shifts, it creates opportunities. It, it really going to find who the buyers are. There always be people buying properties, right? Mm-hmm. I saw it in the housing meltdown in 2008. Um, there were still people buying properties. In fact, there was a lot of money coming in, buying foreclosures, buying as long as they were deals, right? Right. But uh, so now it's interesting. You're saying the multifamily builders. Mm-hmm. are, this is something really cool. I know a guy in, well, I won't say the state because I didn't get his permission to say this. Somewhere in the continental United States. How about that? Right, I'll narrow it down a little bit. Who is killing it right now, selling, buying vacant land, building duplexes. He actually builds the duplexes himself. Okay. And he will build the duplexes and sell them to retail buyers. And right. he basically sells them and says, hey, would you like to live in a home for free you basically i'll build you this duplex even with interest rates going up right i'll even with interest rates it's seven percent or whatever like i will build you this duplex you can rent out the other half or airbnb it and then live on this half it's house acting 101 right mm-hmm. and they will cover if not all a major portion of your mortgage payment and he cannot find enough land and build these things fast enough even in a slow market Right. Building these little duplexes. That's a, um, a great idea. It, he's got so much money, beg, people begging him to lend money to build these things. Right. And um, so
1: there's, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of opportunity. You just got to make sure you're doing it in the right place. 100%. And getting back to making sure that the numbers make sense, getting rid of appreciation, factor in maybe some depreciation. And so many multifamily builders were banking on rental increase, just going, year over year over year but now we're seeing it kind of flatten out and in some cases actually slow down a little bit as new inventory is coming online so factoring in numbers based on you know if a market does pull back so the multifamily land that they are buying they're buying a lot more cautiously and the numbers have to pencil for a, it on the highest i've heard is a 25 percent depreciation with the lowest average being about 10. what do you mean by that depreciation so they believe the market worst case will pull back 10 to 25 percent And that's what they're saying, hey, um, this is our worst case scenario and this is how we're underwriting in stress testing these deals. All right. So talk about how do you find these multifamily builders to sell your land to? That's the same thing. I I do a lot of virtual driving for dollars and physical driving. So I'll go check out these neighborhoods and see who's building multifamily. Also building relationships with good commercial brokers in the area. They will be um, a great lifeline and especially ones that are wholesale friendly because they do exist. And say, hey, this is what I do. I find off-market land. And I've had a lot of great connections brought to me from a, a local uh, broker that I work with named Gunner out of Leveros, and he's been phenomenal in helping me find good multifamily buyers. Excellent.
0: And, and you mentioned a little bit what is what are some of the things you say to these developers and realtors
1: of what how do you, how do you say what you do and, and what ask them what they're looking for. So if I was at like if I was calling a single family builder, I'd say, "Hey, my name's Anthony with Mavro Properties. I'm a land wholesaler." and I wanted to ask you a few questions to see if we could potentially work together and I could source some deals for you. Do You have about five minutes to answer some questions. Then I have a list of questions I go through asking price per square foot, utilities, zoning, would they rezone, how much time do they need for an inspection period, would they wanna factor in the rezone into the escrow period, and go through a long list of questions so they know I, I know what they need and that I'll go and find what they need and then I give them some examples of deals we've, other, we've done and I have a PDF that I normally put together for them and send everything over. Was I I do zero fluff in my numbers. I actually make the numbers look a little worse than they are compared to sending fluff.
0: All right. So are you doing any kind of rezoning yourself? Are you doing any kind of development yourself or entitlements or whatever they're called?
1: Yeah, I did a partial rezone, I call it, last year. Uh, At the end of the year, I took a lot that was zoned R43, which means one residential home per acre. And then I took it, went to the city and got preliminary plat approval for a 64 unit property. And then we assigned that off for a $450,000 payday, which was pretty cool. And that was a total of 90 days all in with a 40k investment of, you know, all the due diligence period and site plans and everything like that. So that was so. so You made a $450,000 assignment? Yeah, we didn't even double close it because the buyer, um, he was, I brought him in and had good rapport with him and said, Hey, this is what I've got. How?" How far do you need me to take this before you want to take it over? He says, if you get preliminary approvals from the city, then I'll take it. And he was on the calls with me with the city. Um, I worked with a great entitlement attorney to get everything put in place. A great architect who sat on the board with the city. So it was it was a perfect storm to get the deal done, especially in 90 days. Normally those take, you know, six Congratulations. months. Congratulations. Yeah, so how long ago was that? I want to say it was about four months ago.
0: Okay. After things have been slowing down.
1: Yeah, things had already been slowing down, and they're still. He still calls me and says, "What other land do you have for me to buy? Uh, anything else that we can rezone?"
0: Now, somebody new listening to this is going to be completely overwhelmed when they're talking, when they're hearing you talk about what you just did. Right, but you got.
1: It sounds like you got some help. You didn't have to know how to do it all. You who who did you get to help you? So I started with. Um, so as soon as I got the property, I started going through the due diligence period. So I paid an engineering company to come out and do the geotech in the phase one. I paid a surveyor to come out and do the Alta survey. And then I paid a entitlement attorney to see get with the City of Mesa, see if this was feasible, if the city would entertain it. Then I also paid an architect who sat on the board with City of Mesa to do the site plans and use his back channels to make sure this is something they would approve of. So yeah, I built a great team of people that specialize in that field and in that city, so it was the perfect storm. Normally, just for the pre-application meeting, you're 30 to 45 days out, and we got in, in 15 days just with their back channels and connections.
0: Who would be if somebody's new? Who would be the first person that you would tell them to go reach out to and find? Would it be
1: that? So, I would, that I would say get super uh, educated first on rezones and look at the city uh, master plan. So, you can normally go on the city website and pull a master plan of what the city wants an area to look like and try to find lots that don't match with the master plan. So, if you can find the master plan that says, I want high density multifamily here, and you go look at what it's currently zoned it'll, all single family residential. I would start going after those lots, because you know there's a high likelihood the city's gonna rezone that. Very interesting. Get, get familiar with that process first, and then the first person is a good entitlement attorney. That's who you wanna even go to first and say, hey, what's the likelihood of this getting rezoned?" And they'll say, yeah, that's gonna work. That's not gonna work. I have a pretty good confidence in that. And next is the architect and say, hey, what's it gonna cost to get the site plan drawn up? As soon as he say, yeah, that this looks pretty good, then start working due diligence, because that all costs money, the site plan, phase one the geotech or soil report it's also known um ultra survey all those are around you know 1500 to two grand a pop so it, it can get pricey quick
0: so i was going to ask that what is some of the due diligence that you do or you hire somebody to do for you
1: right so uh obviously the site plan is after the due diligence so with due diligence i'm always doing an ultra survey so, so what's us around... talk about what what is the site plan okay site plan is just an overview of what your plans are for the area. So, to show the buildings, the parking lots, the retention basin for water storm runoff, all your uh, ingress and egress points, you know, driveways coming in and out, where the utilities are going to run, all that stuff necessary for the city. Get an idea of what you want because I haven't found a city yet that'll just rezone a property without knowing what you want to do. Now, do you, they wanna... Are you getting feedback from the guy who wants to buy the property of where those types of things are? Uh, it depends on the lot and the relationship I have. Some people, yes. Others, I just kind of know at this point what people are going to want. Because yeah, you don't want to go get a site plan approved for something someone doesn't want to build, right? So that it is having a good understanding of what people are wanting to build and what design. Okay. And the nice thing with the site plan approval is normally they can change the look and facade of a building as long as the footprints of the buildings stay the same. So yeah, it is it is good for the multi family ones to find someone that you can bring it to and say, hey is this what you'd want to build here? And they could say, oh no, I'd want the buildings like this, this, and this, and then you can kind of work that out. But make sure you have a good contract with a memorandum in place if you're in a state that allows for memorandums to protect your interests so someone doesn't go around you.
0: So you, what you're talking about for a memorandum is um, you've, you get a property under contract, you have how many months for due diligence?
1: Uh, so that one we had uh, 90 days, so three months for due diligence, which is super short. Normally we yeah. try to, do it for the entitlement ones, we're anywhere from six months to a year in okay. some cases. So you,
0: you want to record some kind of instrument with the county records to right. tie up the properties so that nobody can go to that seller behind you, you to get it under contract and buy it, right?
1: Absolutely. And that actually happened. So I had shopped it to about four or five buyers. And one of them um, that I didn't have as good of relationships, I still can't put my finger on who, tried to go around and the seller tried to back out of the deal saying, hey, I got somebody else that's offering me more. I'm canceling this contract. Unfortunately, that's not how this works. Yeah. So were you able to keep that deal then? Yeah, that's a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar deal. So oh, yeah, that's yeah. cool. the right. Yeah, so and then I at that point I already had close to forty grand because I had the Alta, which was uh eighteen hundred, the phase one um was I believe sixteen hundred, the geotech was twenty five hundred, the site plan was roughly twenty five grand with a rush for the architect to get it done in time, and then I also had the uh the entitlement attorney fees. So I was already close to forty grand in the hole and I said, There's no way I'm walking away from the steel this deep and Thankfully, I had the memorandum, and in my contract, it allows for specific performance, which means you can basically force the sale if the seller were to try to back out.
0: Nice, yeah, Aaron is commenting here, it's called clouding the title.
1: Correct, Right. that is correct. All
0: right, so you put a lot of money and time into due diligence to make sure that you can put a multifamily apartment building, one or two buildings there with enough room for parking, underground utilities, entrance into parking lots and exits out into the streets, there may have to be some, at least preliminary design on like stoplights or traffic, right. things like that. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that.
1: There really is. Yeah. It's crazy. And every time I do one, I learn something new and it's uh,
0: so. Do, do you get a little nervous? Like, man, I'm putting a lot of money into this thing. I don't even know if it's going to be approved by the city or not. Um, what if this buyer backs out? What do you, how do you do that?
1: So the nice thing is I was so confident because this is a hard corner, meaning it's on the corner intersection of two major roads in a city that's rapidly growing like Mesa. Worst case scenario, I had it so deep at 400000 that it, even if they cut the density down, it still made sense. And I even went and got uh, financing lined up. Should a buyer back out, I was going to personally close on it, take it fully through the entitlement process, and then uh, the exit would have been probably double of what I assigned it for.
0: Somebody may be wondering, why don't you just sell the lot as is to that builder? Why do you have to go through all that work of
1: getting it approved with the city? Right, because the builder was offering, you know, four fifty dollars to $500,000 with as it is because they were going to have to, you know, inherit that risk. And they're like, yeah, everything looks good and the city should be on board until they're not because there's been a lot of deals out here that have to go through like a city council rezone and the city council shut it down last minute and then they're, they're out of pocket forty to hundred grand in rezone and entitlement, and now they have a lot they can't use for their desired use.
0: Yeah. So you're taking on some of that risk. Right. Hence why you can make four hundred and fifty grand as an assignment fee. Yeah. On a vacant lot. Wow. Okay. So somebody listening to this, I'm always thinking about okay, somebody listening to this is kind of a new investor. They've they've done a few vacant land deals, five acre lots out in the country. And they're thinking they're seeing the bigger numbers on these infill lots. And they find a deal like this, there's always a question like, dang, what do I offer? You know, even sometimes when we're targeting rural markets, mm-hmm. we'll get, a, we'll get a, um, uh, somebody that will call on a letter that owns a 2.6-acre lot at an intersection across the street from a Home Depot in a small town, right? Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Like, how do you, do they find somebody like you to bring the deal to
1: and say, hey, can we partner on this? Do they call some local realtors? What do you suggest? So I can't speak too much to the rural lots. I don't want to overstep my area of expertise because I normally focus on stuff in the major city. And the way I look at it is what can be built on the lot. And then I'll start reverse engineering numbers from there. But if you did find a a two-acre lot across from a Home Depot or something, that would be something definitely there should be some potential there. And then I would get with the city. So the city's planning and zoning departments or planning and develop departments, they're going to be your best friend. Yep. and say, hey, what can be built here? Because the way I look at lots is the value of the lots based on what can be built. So then I start to figure out from there, but get with the planning and zoning, can we rezone this? What kind of density could I get? Could I change this to commercial? Because anytime you can go from residential to commercial, you're increasing value. Yeah. That'll just make it way more appealing to a broader range of people. So anything that you can do like that, and then also reaching out to builders in the area and say, hey, what are you guys looking for and how can I be an asset? Wow, okay, very
0: cool. Now you've got a buyer, in place, you know what he or she wants or what the company wants. And how do you go about finding the deals? What are you doing to contact the owners of the property, et cetera?
1: So I'm pretty old school. I still do virtual driving for dollars. The entire team has. I taught the team how to virtually drive for dollars, which means we pull up a map of the city. We zoom in and we go vacant lot to vacant lot. And then cold call them. We use a uh, batch leads for it. We'll go on to batch. Pull it. So you're
0: not doing, this is really important. I I've I've never liked virtual driving for dollars when you're using Google Street View, right? Because some of those maps are one or two years old, mm-hmm. and you may find they just haven't mowed the grass in a few months, right? You know, so but it's. It, but you're looking at satellite, and you're looking for
1: vacant lots next to lots with homes in them, right? Yeah, lots with homes on it, or within an area that we know we can do some like multifamily stuff. We go lot by lot and build a list, send it to batch to skip trace it. They kick it back. Then we cold call through the list. And it's, that's, it's very simple. It seems almost too simple, but that's been our uh, path to success. And I'm sure there's what, some scalability getting, what, you know, what are you using? This is you're going lot to lot down a street. So batch leads, they have an aerial view that you can zoom in on the map. And then I couple that with the GIS data, which is a county provided, uh, geographic informational system, I believe it is, and it's provided by the city to go look at parcels. Pretty much every city or county should have a GIS map, and they normally have the most updated satellite views.
0: All right, so you're 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 looking at Batch, their software, satellite view. You see a lot. Does Batch, in that satellite view, are they showing you lot lines?
1: Yes, yes, it will. So you can turn off satellite and turn on lot lines if you want, if you just want to look at, you know, neighborhoods without the satellite Or you can turn satellite on and, I believe, overlay the lot lines. Same with the GIS. You can normally overlay lot lines as well. So when you click on a vacant lot in Batch, like pop up the owner's information? Yeah. And the beautiful thing is Batch now has MLS access too. So you can kind of see some of your comps in the area for houses. So if you are doing info lots, which I recommend, if you are looking to do in town, start with info lots, cut your teeth, learn, you know, city zoning and stuff like that. Get that kind of experience built up and then go after the bigger stuff where you can make those large assignment fees. So
0: just help me clarify this. If you're getting that information from Batch, what
1: do you need the county or the city's GIS mapping system? So so for whatever reason, the county seems to have the most updated mapping. Sometimes I found Batch on occasion will have like this one section where whatever, wherever they're getting their data is more updated. But normally on average, the county is. And I also cross-reference just to confirm that this lot hasn't transferred data and Batch just hasn't updated yet or to make sure that everything's like matching up, if that makes sense.
0: Somebody already answered my question right here. City or county GIS map to find the vegan lots, use batch leads to skip trace. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, so you are are you doing direct mail or anything like that? Or are you just, it's old school driving for dollars?
1: Old school driving for dollars. I spent a ton of money on direct mail and actually lost a little bit of money when I looked at the numbers over the six month period. We had some deals come in, That you know, ebb and flow of it. But because we focus mainly in town, these people are all getting harassed with so much direct mail, they don't know what to do with it. I even amped up the game and Mm -hmm. spent a dollar per postcard on this big old fancy thing with a Starbucks gift card. Hang on, let
0: me, I'm going to, I'm going to remove my screen here. Oh, let me move this down because I want people on
1: YouTube and Facebook to see it. I'm going to remove myself. So it's, I think it's mirrored, but it's this big old thing. And this isn't a real Starbucks gift card. It's just something to incentivize people to call. This was created by a company called Dynamicard, and they make a, it's this helped us stand out in the Phoenix market because everybody was sending cheaper postcards. So when people got this and it says in fine print on that, uh, you know, the tearaway gift card that you have to call and have a property that's you'd want to discuss to sell for us to honor the gift card. It's kind of like we'll take you out to coffee to discuss your property. I wonder if
0: Starbucks would would approve of that.
1: They it's better be- not to ask. Yeah, yeah, ask it's for better- permission. <laughs> or for forget ask for forgiveness, forgiveness yeah. instead of permission uh well, yeah. but so many people were calling just to try to get the gift card and be like so what property do you want to discuss oh well um oh, in my vacant lot which one? Oh, <laughs> click but yeah for whatever reason direct mail just didn't really work for us so we stuck with what's been doing uh interest that's been direct direct or sorry virtual driving for dollars in cold calling
0: so are you with you and your marketing who on your team is doing that marketing for you right now
1: uh, so i am and then i have uh One other W2 and then an independent contractor that works with us and does some cold calling as well. So, a really small team.
0: Do you have VAs that do the manual work of looking through a map
1: or you're doing it yourself? We do it all ourselves. So, yeah, everybody on the team I've uh, tried to replicate my knowledge with, and then they know areas to go hit. They know how to underwrite the deals. And then it's nice because there's no disconnect. So, if we contact them first, a VA hasn't touched them first. And then they say, Have you even looked at my lot? Yeah, it's right here on the corner of Ninth and Elm. Oh, and then they start asking the right questions compared to getting a VA trained up properly is not something I've been successful at yet. I'm going to try to revisit it again. But, you know, trying to just have that good conversation from the get-go and then carry through has been very good for us.
0: I wonder, since it sounds like you're doing these cold calling one-offs, right? You're doing one-off cold calling. Mm -hmm. You're going to have better connect, what's it called? You know, a better success rate connecting with somebody because you're not calling them from a triple dialer or a 10... 10 line dialer. You could even do it from a cell phone and you're then more likely to get through and it's not show up as spam, right?
1: That's correct. So I even went and got everybody on the team. Uh, We were up to a total of five people last year. Some people went their own ways, which is natural when you're building a wholesale team. And I went and got everybody a a new iPhone. So they even got the blue bubbles when they're texting people, which really helped with the response rates because so many people in Phoenix have iPhones like, are you even a real person when they see that blue bubble pop up? They're like, oh, or green. Well, yeah, yeah. People that don't
0: know, and I think everybody knows this, if, if somebody gets a text from a green bubble, um, it means usually you're using an Android. Most people have iPhones and it actually kind of is a, uh, whether you like it or
1: not, kind of a status thing. Yeah. So a blue bubble means more likely to be real. Yeah, because it's, it's really hard. You can't spoof um, iPhone numbers or that blue bubble. You can't fake that. And so that's been really helpful because then they know that we are legit. Because I've had people... I
0: bet you, though, there is somebody it. who has who knows how to spoof. And, um, I mean, if somebody listening to this has a way to do that and send... Oh, they'd
1: crush it. <laughs> 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 they, would, they would crush it. That is funny.
0: All right, so you're buying... You're signing up for... You're buying iPhones. You're signing up for a Verizon eighteen t phone plan for each of your sales guys. Um, yep. People I think... Are afraid to invest that kind of money, but you look at the ROI on that, mm-hmm. and I bet you it's doing really, really well.
1: Oh yeah, we went from like a thirty percent answer rate to you know a sixty-five, seventy in the best case, just because people it they popped up the caller ID if they texted it showed the blue bubble, and if they left a voicemail, all the voicemails were done by each member of the team saying who they are and who they're with. Yeah. Like, I really tried to treat it like a real company. And then we also have the website up that people could go look to MavroProperties.com. If they needed credibility, they could read our reviews. And I really focused a lot on trying to build this as a correct company instead of like a fly-by-night wholesale operation like a, so many of my friends run, where they don't yeah. want to give out their names and stuff like that. So I tried to make it as legitimate as possible so that- That's so cool. So
0: what do you put on the caller ID?
1: Do you put the name of the salesperson on the caller ID? Yes, yeah, so on the, the call- phone. Yeah, so it said, uh, so it normally say their first name and then Mavro under it. Uh tried to do Mavro Properties, but it wouldn't all fit. So normally it'd say Dylan Mavro. And they'd be like, "Who Dylan Mavro? Answering like, hey, this is Dylan with Mavro Properties. Give me a call about the vacant lot. You want to hang up on me or continue the call? That is so cool. Oh, so is that your cold calling script? That that was our old, yeah, it was pretty much our older one. We changed it a little, um, but it was basically I love that. Hey, do You want to hang up on me or can I ask you some questions? yeah. It's a, I think that was a Jim Camp or maybe even a, a Chris Voss entry. might have been a Sandler. I forget now, but yeah, one you of them. Still, you still do that one? Yeah. Yeah. It works great because it shows people that you, a lot of people laugh at it, especially like D type personalities, like real grumpy people. They, yeah. Hey, I love you want to hang up on me now or continue the call? Ah, that's funny. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> so yeah, that, that works great because you show people they actually care about their time and you're not trying to fluff them like, hey, how's, how's the weather? And who are you? Yeah,
0: you know it reminds me too. Um, I, I did an episode, and you might want to look into this on, on how to leave voicemails. I did it with a guy named Claude Diamond. Claude Diamond is one of my sales coaches, um, coaches that got me started in the business a long, long time ago, and he teaches and coaches in sales training. And he has some really unique methods on how to leave voicemails. And I'm, go- I know I'm going to butcher this, and I've not, I've never had the cojones to do it like he does it. But it's like you, when you're calling somebody, you pretend like you have a contract for their property right in front of you and you're getting ready to sign it, but you have a question for them first. And um, so it's basically, there's two things he does with his voicemails. He says, hey, John Claude here again. Um, I know we were talking a little bit ago, but I've got the contract right here in front of me. I'm getting ready to sign it for your property there at 123 Main Street. Uh, Give me a call. I got a question for you real quick. I need to talk to you. It's really, really important. Thanks. Something simple like that, right? Yeah. And the other thing he does, like he will do something similar, but he'll pretend the phone gets disconnected. So he'll hang up. Or he'll do a long pause. So he'll say something like, "Hey Jim, real important. I'm looking at your house right here. Got a contract, and I this something just came up. This is really confusing. I think it's a problem." I, long pause, right? And then every time, and I've never done that. I thought about it. I thought like, "Oh, I'm too scared to do it." Um. Anyway, something to think about if when I you like it. voicemails.
1: It reminds um, me of the uh, R.J. Bates approach with texting that I stole, which where you cold call somebody, they don't answer, and you text them, "Hey, did you get my message?" Wow. And they will text back what message or they'll call you right away. Hey, what message? The voicemail I left about the property. I've been trying to get a hold of you. You didn't get my voicemail? No, I didn't get your voicemail. Okay, well, does it make sense for us to keep on, stay on this conversation? Or do you want to hang up on me? That's my, that's got my go-to line now because we've just said it so many times. But. Man, we just gave you
0: all listening to this some really big, huge gold nuggets. I know somebody's yeah. going to take that what we just told you, and you're going to make a million dollars with it.
1: Y- you will. Um, you literally will.
0: Oh, wow, so awesome. And I love the fact too that you're not using some automated system or robo outbound dialer.
1: Um, right. You're probably being more compliant by yeah, doing very this. compliant. I do have we have we have a smartphone account linked to Podio, but they only do individual dials going out. And the reason why we do that on the lead follow up is so, so we can review the recordings afterwards, just for sales training, and check tonality, and see where we did right, where we went wrong. But other than that, everybody still has a cell phone that they can text, and they all have company emails too. They'll be Dylan, Anthony at Mavro Properties. So everything yep. looks super transparent, super clean cut, and like with the smartphone dialer, it's registered by my company name. There's we're not trying to hide or play in the gray area.
0: Uh, I I just see this so many times. The guys I I know at least locally here in St. Louis that are doing a lot of deals, uh, they're not in the big masterminds. They're not going to the big sales training conferences, and they don't listen to podcasts. Um, but you know, and watch YouTube videos or buy courses. You know what they do? All they answer their phones. They've got their phones and they're like, "If they're simple, Joe. If you want to make money, if you're not on your phone, you're not making money. So when somebody calls on a letter, postcard, a bandit sign, you know, answer the phone. Don't send it to voicemail. Answer the phone and give them your cell phone number. Put your cell phone number on the bandit signs. Put your cell phone number on the postcards, on the letters. Because who answers phones anymore these days? And then if it goes to voicemail and you call them back, who answers those calls? Never. Right? So. This is really important.
1: This is my favorite. I have a fun story about that, answering your phone. A lady called me. She was, uh, it was a mobile home that burnt down. She called me at midnight (laughs) and and I answered. And she's like, I can't believe you just answered. I said, yeah, all of our company lines are forwarded directly to my cell in case of an emergency. Is there an emergency? What's going on? She's like, no, 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 I just got your postcard and it's been sitting there. And I figured I was going to call and leave a voicemail, but here you are. I'm like, so tell me what's going on. Went out and met her the next day. I know another guy who does
0: direct mail and he says on there, call or text our 24-hour recorded voicemail, but they still have people answer that live. Nobody's ever complained about it, he says. He does tons and tons of deals, but the point of it is you're gonna get more calls if they think that it's gonna go to voicemail. Right. Um, is they answer the phones. All right, so, so, so interesting. This is very cool. Um, so just kind of wrapping this up now, you, you're targeting infill lots in the major cities. Right. You're finding where the demand is, right? You're talking to the builders or the buyers, finding out what do they want? What what would it what do I need to do to bring you a deal that you're going to be interested in?
1: And- uh, it, it's in uh Arizona, uh major Texas cities, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh Houston, and also trying to get my feet wet in Florida. Anywhere that has good population growth mm-hmm. year over year with good influx of just jobs, companies and people, then I'll definitely look at it. And I'm trying to even move into the development um, field now, Uh, building a 10 unit here in Phoenix that's going through finalizing up some of the plans with the city and then we're going to go vertical. So my goal is to start building a lot more. And, but yeah, I'd love to help anybody in any of those markets. We can look at underwrite deals. Even if I just help underwrite and say, this is my opinion on it, I'm more than happy to do that as well.
0: Yeah, and I'll give you everybody, your contact info here. In fact, let me just do it right now if you're still watching and listening, but you should be, why aren't you not? And I know you're listening. I have my ways. I have I have my ways. I know that you're listening. But on Instagram, it's at ad underscore pappas. A D is an um, what does the D stand?
1: Dog. Daniel. Dog. David.
0: <laughs> David. Anthony. David. Underscore. That's that little underscore line. Pappas. P A P P A S. And um, cool. And in fact, if you send me Anthony in an email address or whatever, I'll make sure I put it in the YouTube video description down below or a website.
1: Do you have a website you want to give? Uh, they can check out Mavro Properties if they want, or they can go to my YouTube channel, uh, AD Pappas. And that's why I do a lot of like infill lot due diligence breakdowns. I'm going to start doing that for people nice. uh, that are trying to get into it. I'm trying to put out the content that I couldn't find when I got into it. So it's all it's all going to be there. I uh, did a breakdown of how I scaled from you know my first land deal up to 1.2 last year and 1.5 this year. So I'm trying to give out as much free content to people to help them get on the path to success as well
0: um okay so i have to delete there's a I'm trying to do a banner for youtube at i guess do you on youtube you use the at symbol
1: like you do instagram i think you might be able to i'm not sure yeah the a period d period pappas on uh, youtube okay let me fix this then but if you just google
0: ad pappas on if you search on youtube
1: yeah, it should be on your way. pappas. Yeah, or go to my uh, Instagram that we put up in. I should have a link in my bio for the YouTube page. And then if anybody has any questions on land that they'd like to see put into a long form video, send it to me on YouTube and I'll I'll put it out.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. And your, your website is, your company website is Mavro Properties, M-A-V-R-O Properties.com. Yep. Yeah, man, I hope people uh, reach out to you and contact yep. you about this. Let me ask you a few more questions real quick to wrap okay. it up. Um, What do you see the market doing over the
1: next year? I think, uh, so I'm a big proponent of studying people that are experts in the field. And one of my favorite virtual mentors is Ray Dalio. And his company thinks that we're gonna go into a period of stagflation. For people who don't know, he owns Bridgewater, which is one of the biggest hedge funds in the world, and uh, multi-billionaire. And so they think we're gonna enter into a period of stagflation just based on the current economics that we're seeing. So I do think we're probably gonna see a little pullback on prices a little stagflation in the uh you know in the total economy as things kind of level out because the fed said they're bringing interest rates as high as they have to to bring us back to two percent inflation which i think we're going to land about five and a half percent on the fed the fed rate and what's it now i believe we're at three and a quarter so it's still got a ways to go still got a ways to go
0: ray dalio i've heard, i just googled it me right now
1: how do you does he have a newsletter or a blog that he does? How do you get so it? So his company, yeah, they you can go to Bridgewater on YouTube and they uh, break down their macroeconomic views on things and where they think it's going to go. And then also he does do a newsletter through Bridgewaterassociates.com, I believe is the website, which is great. But
0: bridgewater.com. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm signing up for his newsletter right now.
1: I've He's also written written some amazing books on, um, you know, uh, so Principles, which is a book that just kind of shows how he mm-hmm. structured his life to build that kind of company. And then a few books on the uh, economics and the cycles of econ- economics that we're kind of experiencing.
0: Yeah. If you go to Principles.com is his
1: book. Mm-hmm. Your guided journal, Create Your Own Principles
0: to Get the Work and Life You Want.
1: Yeah, and then Big Debt Crisis. And I, is, I believe it. his mm-hmm. newest one. Yeah, it's a great how, book.
0: That's his newest one. Huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wish I would have got that book like two years ago, but we all would have predicted things differently. Um, have you read it yet? I have. Yeah. It's a great book.
0: Uh, just can you give a quick synopsis of Because I'm looking at it here and it looks fascinating.
1: So it, I, I got it on pre-order, which I got it, um, I think, two months early. And it talked about all the different big market collapses throughout history and how it relates to today. So we talked about, you know, what's happened in Europe, what's happened in, um, I believe, was it Norway where they did had the tulip mania? that talked about the tulip mania, and then he brought it over here and what we're experiencing and how every time there's a rising country, there's one that's falling. And based on the current economics of the U.S., we're a falling power, while China is a rising power where they're pulling money into their con- country. Obviously, China's also has some bigger issues that they're currently dealing with that kind of preventing them from competing with us, but they, they are rising as we are slowly pulling back. There's a book,
0: If I'm looking at Amazon, there's a version from 2018, and he's updated it December 6, 2022, which is less than a month ago. So make sure you guys get the newer one. Yep. From 22. Fascinating. All right, cool. Uh so you're a little bearish on the coming market for the next year.
1: I am, but I'm also bullish in the sense that I believe it's going to be a great time for real estate multifamily development because we're going to see labor and material prices come down because as inflation is still pretty high. And as they keep raising the Fed rate and jobs start slowing down and people start getting laid off, and these big developers are slowing down on going crazy with the new development, that's going to free up a labor pool and materials that have been just sucked up by all this new development. So we are seeing that slow down where single family guys are pumping the brakes and that's bringing prices down already. And guys that were too busy to answer calls are now calling back, like, hey, do you still need to bid on that 10 unit? And so we're going to start seeing aggressive bidding again and finally get back to hopefully, you know, 140K door when we go to go vertical.
0: Okay. So you're talking about construction, cost of construction coming back down to earth. Right. Material prices coming down. Labor yep. prices coming down. I remember uh, about six months into, so the middle of 2020, I think it was towards the end of 2020, thinking about building a pool, mm-hmm. talking to pool contractors. They were three years out. It's insane. Building pools. And I haven't talked to any of them in about a year and a half. So I'm assuming it's getting better.
1: Oh, yeah. You probably get like nine phone calls right back if you left a voicemail.
0: Hey, do you still get a pool. I couldn't even get them to return my call. I told some guys like, listen, I'll pay you to come and give me some advice and design something for me. Um, But yeah, so hopefully that's not good for contractors, but I'm saying for consumers like builders. All right, so then things are slowing down. Does that concern you at all? I kind of started this podcast with that question. Does that concern you at all of the the demand for the vacant land that you're finding for your investors.
1: So it it does, and that's why I'm focused pretty heavily on the multifamily land because yeah. those guys will keep building. Uh, and then some of the, we also have started looking at some of the bigger stuff for the bigger developers because I've had to sit down with some of the guys that own these larger companies doing, you know, 500 houses at a time. And they say they don't care about cycles because the length of their project will bowl, they'll, they'll go right through multiple cycles like by the time I'm done, we'll be into another cycle and potentially almost into another crash. So I don't care because their numbers make sense. And they're just such a big company. They can weather the storm. But the smaller infill guys have gotten priced out and it's getting back to sellers and saying, hey, I know your neighbor's lot sold for 100 last year. We're back to 30 for yours. And this is why. Wow. Very cool. All right. Any final words, Anthony? I do have a question for you. So you were teaching the power of wholesale lease options for like over a decade, right? Do you think we're going to see another surge of that coming into what we're experiencing now?
0: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, when I started doing lease options, it was 2008 and nine, I quit my job. I was making a killing doing lease options. And then until about 2012, um, the market kind of turned around. A lot of cash was coming back into the market. And it's not that lease options kind of stopped working because they always work, but it was just easier to wholesale deals to cash buyer investors. Right. So I could make, you know, I just, it was... So I started doing more cash buyer wholesaling starting in 2012. Okay. And uh, and then, you know, for the next eight to 10 years, still do at options now and then, but it was just easier to do cash wholesaling. So I started doing a lot of traditional wholesaling. And now the last three years, I've been doing more vacant land. So I, I love the business though, because what used to work is going to work again. And what works now may not work tomorrow, but it's important to be kind of diversified, to be a you know, as some people call, uh, like Ron LeGrand calls a transaction engineer, where you're looking at different, where's the market going? There'll always be a demand. So if the housing market continues to slow down we're already seeing this more and more sellers are saying yes to the creative financing offers. Right. Um, and, and I'm hearing this from students as well. Like, Hey man, I got realtors now calling me saying, Hey, remember that lease option offer you made six months ago? Um, seller, my client is would consider that again now, or would, would consider that now. So there, there will always be motivated sellers. Mm-hmm. Creative financing deals work better, whether it's lease options or owner financing or subject to those creative financing deals always work better in a buyer's market, right. right? So I do see that coming back. And I think wholesaling lease options are a really good strategy on a down market because you don't want to be caught holding a property. Right. for two or three years, right? I would rather be in and out. The last thing I want to do is is own a bunch of properties that are declining in value, mm-hmm. that have very little equity. Even though it cash flows, you've got to have equity and cash flow. Right. So if the deal doesn't have really good equity, just wholesale it. Get it under contract to lease option and then sell that to a tenant buyer. I think you're I think you're gonna find it easier as the year twenty twenty three progresses. Right. To do lease options. I still don't think we're at a place where it's going to be as easy to do wholesaling lease options as it was in 20, in 2009, right. 10, 11. Right. So yeah, that's my prognost, prognosis.
1: Right. Sure. Cool. Well, any final words then, or another question? Uh, that was my major one because I was looking through, you know, old videos and like where we headed? And I like to look to the past to see where we're going. And you've got some amazing videos touching on that subject over a decade ago. So it's if people haven't gone back to those videos, they need to, because I feel like it's going to be a very powerful tool.
0: I, I need to, I mean, I was having students back then that were making a killing, you know, I mean, not making a killing, making decent money, right? Um, doing uh, lease, lease assignments. Instead of lease option assignments, they were doing lease. So they would give the seller or landlord an option to lease their property, an right. the option to lease it, and then selling that lease or assigning that lease to a tenant for a one month's uh, fee. Beautiful. Um, and you're only going to make $1,000 to $2,000 on each of those, right. but you can do them really quickly. And I, we had students that um, at the time, and I see this maybe coming even back, I, I we'll see, mm-hmm. where they were making five to 10 grand a month just assigning, doing leases like that
1: that makes sense. And that's five to 10 grand while other people are struggling. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: I remember so clearly those days back in 09 and 10 realtors were hemorrhaging Mm. cash, whatever cash they had left, they were were desperate, desperate for making money because what used to work doesn't, didn't work anymore. And I coached a lot of realtors on doing lease options back in 2009, 10 and 11. Right, And some of these guys, they were top producing agents Doing a lease option deal. That's crazy, you know? So uh, we'll see where it goes. You know, I i, I always like, I think it's important for everybody to understand listening to this. We don't create the market. We don't create demand. You need to go find where the demand is, where the cheese moved to. Who knows? Maybe short sales are going to come back. Maybe not. Maybe I like what you're doing with multifamilies and land. You should look at, once well, you build some capital, now I've got a track record, find some investors, private money, and start building duplexes. Yeah. Like that's, and if you could find the areas in the country where Airbnbs are more accepted and allowed, maybe Florida, maybe parts of like that, what's that area in Tennessee um, where there's yeah. like, may, yeah, well, Nashville's a hot market, but there's that area in Tennessee where there's a lot of vacation homes. Okay. Um, uh, like in the mountains. Uh, I forget, but anyway, somebody knows what I'm talking about, like where Airbnbs are more allowed. Okay. And you can go there and build duplexes. And advertise for buyers. Hey, live for free. That, that's a beautiful can, strategy. My gosh, because then you can find the land for super cheap, build cheaper. Gatlinburg, thank you, Content House. There you go, Gatlinburg. Um, right. So, something to think about. Somebody out there listening to this, uh, you can make a lot of money. And find the demand. And there's a lot of people who are like they need to move into a new place. They're worried about the market. They're worried about interest rates. Maybe they want to buy investment properties. And they're like, what am I gonna do? Because interest rates are so high, where you can still cash flow, sometimes when you do this, these kinds of strategies. Right. Uh, all right. Well, this has been a very good interview. Thank I you. I really appreciate you, having me. Thank the you. Podcast again. Just so people know, and and real quick, I'm gonna there were be there were a lot of people typing in comments, which is awesome on Instagram. Ad underscore Pappas. Uh, your your company website is Mavro Properties. M M-A-V A V is in Victor. R O Properties yeah. And your YouTube, just do a search in YouTube for Ad Pappas. And we'll, we'll put a link to these in the comments or in the description of the YouTube video. And uh, just looking at the uh, the podcast, the comments here. Rick Powell, thanks for this podcast. You're welcome. Thanks. All-nighter, hider. Love that name. I'll send two texts per number spaced out a few days. The longer my list, the less time I spend chasing. Okay, cool. Content House is asking, when doing a texting campaign, do you text every number or only the first few? Maybe only one number for each person. Does that make sense?
1: It does. So yeah, I think if you're doing like a skip trace from batch or something, they'll give you, you know, sometimes five numbers or so. If we're doing a text campaign, which we've gotten away from, because once again, I try to cold call the numbers first, and if we hit a good voicemail, that's normally when we text the number. Yeah. But when we were doing text campaigns, yeah, we were just hitting the first three numbers when we are doing a text blast. But okay. I've gotten away from that.
0: All nighter hider is recommending George gamut and the Rebel Capitalist Challenge Perfect. for macro.
1: add uh, them to the watch list.
0: Yeah, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Content House also is recommending Dan Barrero. It's a good person to ask about market analysis. Principles.com is that book. Bridgewater.com is that other book. Ray Dalio, book Principles. Um, let me go through this. Answer the phone. Old School Righteous. Uh, In the phone. Yeah, somebody's asking what CRM do you use to keep your leads organized?
1: Uh, it's a built-out podio. So you Okay. Yeah, but you my it yourself or you bought somebody else's? I bought a built-out one from uh, Rafael Cortez, but on last year with the 1.2 million, we did that on a free podium. Good old so, Rafael. You brought him up, didn't you? Yeah. Traffic
0: engineering firms tend to get info early in the process too. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, somebody's asking if there will be a replay of this podcast. Yes, it's on YouTube. So go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. What's the best place to learn about zoning codes in your particular city?
1: uh the city is going to be your number one go-to uh the, especially you'll find some pretty nice people with the cities too and the nicer you are the nicer they're going to be but even just googling uh you know whatever zone you're looking at google your city name zoning code zoning spreadsheet zoning chart and it'll pull up then you can start researching that the city tries to put out as much information as possible they want to incentivize development they want you to build in their city because they make a ton of money with all the fees and stuff like that so all of it's I mean, available normally on city sites.
0: I had, a, I had a student who um would, would do this a lot with property management companies and the county records departments and court records. Bring in donuts. You'd bring in donuts and just say, hey, I got some questions. I wonder if you can help me here.
1: Yeah, they're, they're great people to work with and they're people doing a job. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to start. Yeah.
0: Brilliant content, guys. Fire from Joey Legends. Josh Brown, I know you. What's going on? And you know this guy, Brandon Simmons? I do, I do. Good dude hypothesis is stud thank you thank you um, the cool uh, i saw a couple of people answer this question oh sheila from linkedin actually somebody from linkedin is watching this video how about that it's actually working i didn't know anybody knew me in linkedin so hey linkedin people like sheila hey sheila this is a beautiful thing about the way anthony does this how does he sell his properties with the phone call mm-hmm. One hundred you, you don't
1: advertise these things you don't need to right Every now and again, one will be a little tough to move and it'll end up on a blast list. But majority of the deals go to in Phoenix. I had about seven, seven builders that were my go to builders. So it's just picking up the phone, getting on Google first, finding builders in that area. And even better, if you can go drive the area and you see a couple new builds going up, they're going to put a sign out front. They w- they advertise who they are and call them yeah. and say, hey, would you be interested in another property right here? I wonder if you could
0: call a realtors who list those new builds. Oh, I'm sure. Ask yeah. them, hey, you know, can you. Maybe I can send some new listings to you if you can help me with this. Right. Or send new listings to your client so they can use you again to list their other properties.
1: Another strategy that works pretty well is it's got to be in your contract. Make sure you're following all local laws and regulations is advertising on the MLS. So if you have it in your contract, like in Phoenix, it says, I have the uh, um, ability to uh, advertise on the MLS All and blah, 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 all the legal mumbo jumbo and we're allowed to put properties on market. And we've sold some in like the nicer luxury areas by doing that. So you okay. get with a good agent that understands how to market wholesale properties on the MLS and then make sure your contract allows you to do it first and foremost, and then you can do that and sell some properties that way as well.
0: Nice question here. I'm, I apologize for getting to these questions late, guys. And thanks for your time, Anthony. You're being gracious here going long. Um, do, you, do you wholesale and owner finance your, any of your deals or are you selling them all for cash?
1: I have only owner financed one, and that was for a development play. Um, And so I assigned it to his company. I made my profit off the front end, but left 50K trapped in the deal as owner finance, um, which was a pretty cool deal, but that's the only one I've ever owner financed.
0: Okay. Joe asks a question, what percent to market value are you offering after running comps in this market? Um, So I guess you could answer that, and I'll I'll give my answer for how I'm doing it too. But yours is a little different. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, So for infill lots which will be the easiest and uh, shortest one to answer. For infill lots, I'm taking a comp in that neighborhood, moving removing 10% of the value right away, and then I'm p- normally trying to lock it up for 10 to 15% of that and it should sell for 17 to 20%. And that's kind of how we we're running numbers now. And so that's if all utilities are in place. So you're back back the track a little bit. So
0: you're you're finding what the price of the house sold for.
1: Right. And so you're figuring then the land is worth about 10% of that Correct. price? But that's after. So if the house currently today for easy math is worth $100,000, we are taking 10% right off the top of that number. So 90000 So then I'd try to go lock that property up for 9000 That's okay. how we're kind of running numbers right now. But if there's no utilities and stuff like that, then you have to kind of factor in those costs as well. Or if it's a, a fill lot or a cut lot where they have to bring on dirt or take dirt away, if you got to remove trees, all that has to be factored in. But yeah, on average, 10% to 15%. Yeah,
0: and this goes back to our LinkedIn, Sheila, question of selling your properties. It's finding, following the demand. And I I talk about this in my program, and I've also interviewed people who do this a lot. It's so easy these days to go in and find in the last 30, 60, 90 days, where are all the people buying vacant land? Right. And Go into those subdivisions, into those zip codes, and market to those landowners in those areas. And then you can go see who those people were from public records, right? And you just, you can sell it to them. Oh, and then the other question, back to what percent offering, Um, the cool thing about going to see where the demand is, right? You can see what they're paying for their property. Absolutely. And yeah. as the market slows down, guess what? That number goes down mm-hmm. as well. So I'm always at 25% of what I think I could sell the property for today. Right. So if I think I can sell the property for 10 grand, cause I've seen in the last 30 days, 60 days, that's what people are buying them for. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna offer, uh, twenty-five percent of that. Okay, cool. Um, ta-ta-ta. thank you, gents. I'll come back and listen to the replay when I'm less busy. Is this being recorded? Yes, it's Donna. It is on is on my YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, do search for Joe McCall, find it. Facebook user, great info. Thank you, very helpful. Ramon, do you JV on land deals? If I find an interested seller, yeah, we talked about that. Go look up um, Anthony's contact info on on Instagram and YouTube. Yep, love to
1: JV on deals.
0: Cool. Learn your money. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Hey, great podcast. Appreciate it, Anthony. And again, YouTube, just do a search for AD Pappas. Company website is Mavro Properties on Instagram. Are you active on Instagram?
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, normally if you get a hold of me on Instagram, I try to get through all messages within a day or two. Uh, Try to be as active as possible on Instagram.
0: Do not message me on Instagram, anybody ever, because you'll never see a response from me on that. All right. AD underscore Pappas. All right, man. Hey, thank you
1: so much. Appreciate it. I really appreciate you bringing me on the platform. Thank you for the conversation. We'll see you guys all later. Uh